Why not the truth? Churchill was right. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Why is that? Why do you most prefer lies rather than truth? Simply, for the unthinking, lies are more comfortable, they're more soothing, they're more physically pleasurable. That's why we have in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction for the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Choosing truth over lies. And that is a rarity. Men, is, men have forever chosen lies rather than truth. Truth demands two basic qualities of character in us, honesty and courage. And therein lies the reason I believe truth is most often rejected. We tend to be neither honest nor courageous. What is true has to do with the facts. Getting the right answer to do to that question requires honesty. But the more personal question is, what are we going to do with the truth? And that answer takes courage. And here is where we stumble. When the truth calls for a difficult response, we hide from it, we run from it, we try to cover it up like Adam and Eve did following their sin. But there are two different truths that we must hear. Number one, the sinful truth about ourselves. And number two, the gospel-saving truth about our redemption. And the second will have little meaning to those who reject the first. Because the first is extremely uncomfortable. Confronting our sinfulness is painful, but no truth can save us if we're unwilling to face that truth. Without discovering the bad news, the good news will not be welcome. Above all, we have to guard against defining truth in terms of what we want the truth to be. Without recognizing it or admitting it, man often rejects ideas as untrue when there is no objective reason to do so. We simply don't prefer them to be true. But truth is what it is, regardless of our preferences. And the more painful tr a truth may be to accept, at least in the short term, the more we must be adventurers going wherever the truth leads us, and doing whatever it demands. Truth is not always what we want to hear as it grates against our preferred behavior. Truth is simply God's view on any subject. What is truth? 
It's God's view on anything and everything. It is reality as God declares it. It's not reality as you or I think it, nor as you or I feel it. If our truth does not match God's truth, then our truth is simply a lie. And that brings me to at least my first reason why not the truth in so many people's lives. And this is sometimes called narcissistic insults. A narcissistic insult is a bulletin from reality that while capable of making us wiser, usually doesn't because it offends our ego. And the rejection of truth, I think, largely revolves around our egos. We fear and hate many of truth's disclosures because they, often, they are often accompanied by what we might call blows to our ego. And to avoid such ego blows, men cling to or develop illusions, falsehoods, that limit their intelligence and ruin their freedom. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They downsize life and package it into bite-sized, albeit deceptive, morsels of conviction. History records how truth has threatened our self-regard, our egos. It was mentioned about the earth being flat, and that nothing good could exist beyond our vision and sphere, and that was a falsehood, it was a lie. But people of the 16th century ignored the truth about the earth and clung to their ego-gratifying illusion that the earth was flat and that they were the center of the universe. Mass narcissism. It's all about us. Is our goal to survive or to grow? If the goal is simply to survive in this life, and it is for many, maybe, many, maybe it is for most, then truth is absolutely unnecessary. You do not need the truth to survive. People reject truth when survival on earth trumps eternity with God. And it usually does. Our ancestors didn't see, need to see all the truths of the world in order to survive in it. They just had to know enough to allow them to survive. Our eyes deceive us as we look into the sky, and the sun appears infinitely smaller than our earth, and yet it would take countless earths to fill the sun. But such truths were totally unnecessary for our hunter-gathering ancestors to survive, reproduce, or even prosper. Our ancestors didn't need to know the truths of physics to survive, just basic Newton laws. They needed to understand that falling off a cliff would be bad. They didn't need to understand all of the vectors and physical equations that work in such an event. 
They just needed to know that if you fall off a cliff, it would probably hurt. Since survival was the primary goal, erring on the side of misperceptions and self-deceptions was even sometimes beneficial, increasing the likelihood that you would survive. For instance, if while foraging for food, they might misperceive a long, thin vine to be a snake and avoid it because it would be safer to err on the side of caution. If they jumped back and avoided it and it turns out to only be a, snitch, a, a stick, they, they lived the next day. But if they, if they made a mistake and had not jumped back and it was a snake, it could mean death. They didn't have to see things clearly to survive. In fact, sometimes seeing them unclearly helped them survive. Similarly, stranger danger was an important instinct for our ancestors and probably still for us today. That stranger that we meet might be friendly, but first contact could result in harm or even death. So feeling fear, trepidation, and caution at first contact with a strange creature, strange situations, or other humans were and are common. In a sense, we would misperceive the level of the threat, not see the truth, because, well, such an erroneous, unfounded fear could save our lives. When man's singular preoccupation with now Truth takes a back seat. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. That's the per perception on the now, not on the when. But you and I know, as Christians, life is to be much more than just survival. To be much more than just the now. It's to be a progression to the home with God. And that demands truth. Physical survival doesn't demand truth. It may help it, but it doesn't demand it. Spiritual survival does. So pride, narcissism, and self-centered nowisms are powerful reasons that truth is ignored. And narcissistic insults, things that our blows to one's ego are not allowed by the proud. For the proud, the ego must be protected at all costs. When our egos are self-centered me that pretends or thinks it knows is insulted, truth suffers. Truth is denied. Assaults on our egos, even though they are true, are beaten down to protect our self-image. A second reason I would give you that truth is not always accepted or maybe seldom accepted is a term called cognitive dissonance. There are scores of such tensions that man tries to alleviate by promoting his rationalization and false justifications. A cognitive dissonance is when one's expectations of life and what one sees actually occurring in life do not match. 
Those moments are called cognitive dissonance. And to resolve that tension or dissonance, people either change their behavior, justify or rationalize their behavior, or simply become indifferent to the tension. In practice, people reduce the magnitude of their cognitive dissonance by either lowering their expectations or rationalizing away the tension. Let me give you an example of a cognitive dissonance. Belief. God loves and cares for little children. Observation. Children sometimes die. The belief, which is true, and the observation don't seem to match. If God loves and cares for little children, why do they ever die? The observation is true, and therefore man tends to conclude that the belief must not be to relieve the cognitive tension. There are other cognitive dissident expressions that you may hear, and I'll just rattle off two or three to give you a little flavor for it. A loving God could never send anybody to hell. That is viewed by many people as a cognitive dissonance. They may not call it that, but they're saying the God of the Bible couldn't send anybody to hell, and since the Bible says some will go to hell, then either hell doesn't exist or God doesn't exist. And truth, in either way, is rejected. A loving God could never allow war. A loving God could never allow heartache and suffering. Well, there are easy and appropriate rebuttals to those dissidences. Hell is what allows heaven to be so wonderful. In the end, God is going to confine all evil in hell, which will free those in heaven of it. War was the result of man's misguided passions, not God's not loving. In the Old Testament, when God allowed war, it was either to punish evil or to bring people to repentance or both. But both were loving acts. Whom God loves, he chastens. But God often gets blamed by man for things he has not desired or caused to relieve man's cognitive dissidence. And truth is sacrificed in the meantime, in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Eden, pardon me, is what God wanted, eternal life and bliss. The calamities of today are not the result of an unloving God, but of man's rejection of that God and of his truth. One of atheism's pillars is that I would rather believe God does not exist than to believe that a God exists who allows suffering. Either that God of the Bible is not loving or he is not all-powerful. Either way, that God does not exist. Cognitive dissonance. Harold Kushner, in his classic several decades ago, when bad things happen to good people, wrote, I can accept a God who cannot stop suffering, who is not omnipotent, more than I can accept a God who could stop suffering but doesn't. Unloving. Both scenarios devalued God's, either his omnipotence or his love, and truth was cast aside. So why do many people reject the clear 
and sensible truth and embrace ambiguous, irrational falsehoods? How can sense be repudiated in favor of nonsense? How can a rational thinking people, person consciously be hedonistic, nihilistic, agnostic, evolutionist? Well, the answer, I believe, is that most people are neither rational nor thinking people. Rather, they are sensually driven thinkers. Certainly, it takes a lot of deluding and terminal arrogance to deny truth, but truth never changes. There will be discussions, according to the program this week, about truth yesterday, truth today, and truth tomorrow. But truth was the same yesterday as it is today as it is tomorrow. Our reactions to it and our circumstances around it can change, and I suspect that will be some of what will be brought out. But truth does not change, because God is truth and God doesn't change. But if truth is eternal and never changing, how long can it be denied? Well, the answer is not very long. Nobody can deny truth past death. And at that, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2. Nobody will deny truth past death. And yet they cling, sometimes we cling so tenaciously to it until that moment. In life there is only one thing, and that's truth. That's all there is that's real. What is normally called a falsehood is simply the qualified absence of truth. Lies and falsehoods are not real things. By definition, they're fiction. Lies and falsehoods are simply what you have when you extract truth from whatever the situation is. God did not create evil because evil is not a thing. He did create all things, and he did create good, but evil is simply the absence of good. That's one of God's creation principles. In the basement, we have refrigerators that are keeping food cold. Those refrigerators are not putting cold into the food. They're extracting heat out of the food. You are reasonably comfortable right now because of our air conditioning system. An air conditioner does not put cold into the air. It extracts heat from the air, and what you have left is cold. Falsehood and lies are simply what you have left when you have extracted truth from it. They are not things. They're illusions. They're fiction. When a person, therefore, is said to be rejecting truth, he is actually misdirecting and abusing and blurring God's gift by extracting truth from what God has given us. 
Often, rather than man keeping his relationship with truth clear and sustained, he renders it distorted, hazy, and cluttered. Before seeing truth, he looks and sees everything else. Rejecting the truth is not changing the truth because truth cannot change. Rejecting the truth is simply putting so many things between you and truth that you no longer see it or you no longer recognize it or you don't want to see it or you don't want to recognize it. We put our material things, we put our our emotional things, we put our intellectual things, we put our families sometimes in that position to blur truth. But you cannot destroy truth. Truth is eternal, and therefore it can't be eternally rejected. And since it cannot be eliminated, it can only be challenged, distorted, or misrepresented. I want to quote a noted theologian, Elvis Presley. <laughs> Truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. Now, obviously, I would not think that philosophy and theology were Elvis's strong points. That doesn't keep what he said in that quote from being true. It is a fact that truth isn't going away. You can shut it out for a time, but that doesn't make it disappear. It's still there, waiting to be dealt with. It's like, it's like the man who's chased by the hounds, or like the hounds chase the fox. Truth chases man and eventually catches up with him. Many spend a great deal of time running away from things that they really know, I think, deep down are true. Some of you this morning are running away from the truth. And many spend a great deal of time running away from things that are inevitable. Denying these things, suppressing them, pretending they aren't so, even to the point of convincing themselves that they aren't true. If you repeat or hear a lie long enough, you eventually probably begin to think it's true. Let me give you a couple of those. Everyone does it, so it must be okay. That's a lie. But how easy it is for us to kind of convince ourselves of that. God wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy, so God must want me to do it. God's not nearly as concerned with whether you and I are happy as he is concerned with whether you and I are holy. How much better it would be if we just went ahead and dealt with the truth and doing what is right with it. How refreshing it is when you finally give up what was never anything but an unwinnable battle. And the battle against truth is unwinnable. You may persist and hold on to that battle until you die, but once you die, it's over. Truth is a tough, unbeatable opponent. It's like the hounds chasing the fox. It chases us relentlessly. 
And eventually, given enough time, truth always wins. So giving up the struggle and getting ourselves in line with truth before it is too late is the most important thing that any of us can deal with. For many, having become blind or myopic or nearsighted, truth becomes too distant to be seen, too irrelevant to be considered, and too faint to be heard. Truth doesn't die, but we do. What is normally called a falsehood is really the unqualified absence of truth. And when a person is said to be rejecting truth, he is actually misdirecting and abusing the gift that God has given us. Because truth is life's stabilizers. That's why coming to the truth actually simply means removing impediments that blinded the truth from us. Making it visible and appealing again. The Gentiles could see truth that the Jews had lost due to their impediments. Romans chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16. Then the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law. These, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves. They could see things that the, the Jews who had more information had lost sight of. We need to also remember that truth is never new. It has always been there the entire time. And when a person dies and all the masks fall off, fall off and all the veils are lifted, the first thing I believe a person will see is the truth. What did the rich man in the story of Lazarus and the rich man see immediately after his death? He saw the truth. Please go back and warn my brothers. If truth has not been accepted by the time we die, then our first desire after death will be to return to this world and be given another chance. But that's not the Bible, is it? It's appointed for once for a man to die and then the judgment. There are several sobering passages in the New Testament of people who have rejected truth, and God says, I'm just going to turn them over to Satan. I can't imagine what that'd be like. I struggle with Satan, so do you, but to be turned over to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Hymaeus and Alexander, Paul writes, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they'll learn not to blaspheme. In an age when it's popular for people to make up their own spirituality, it's important to remember the vital role of truth. If God is an objective reality, then neither he nor the path to him by which we may approach him are matters of subjective opinion. We are not at liberty, one, to set the terms of our own salvation, or two, define anything as worship that simply suits our fancy. God's already done that, hasn't he? Yet, this is the day of sensual religion. 
When it comes to truth, we envision it in any way that is congenial to us. And when it comes to religious practice, we reject anything that does not stroke our self-image and ego. And yet truth is what we need at all costs. It is a wonderful truth, ladies and gentlemen, that God can be known. And an even more wonderful truth that we can be redeemed from our sins and brought back to him. And it's primarily in the language of scriptures that truth is found. The only question is, what will we do with that information? Man spends a great deal of time running away from admonitions and decisions that we know have to be made. Nothing is more exhausting than an unmade decision which truth demands. So let us not procrastinate the decisions that must be made. And the sooner we make them, the better we will not only feel, but more importantly, the better we will be. In all things, face the facts. But who you really are, but if who you really are is something other than what you should be, face that fact. Repentance is simply getting back in line with truth and reality. Yes, it's a turning away. Absolutely, but it's just getting back in line with reality. And when we do that, we present ourselves as we really are, or maybe I should say we really should be, and how God intended us to be, penitent people who have made the decisions and improvements that they need to make. Truth that is not set into action only brings more severe condemnation. Knowing the truth is essential, but knowing it does nothing for us without the action. This morning, some of you are probably, there are probably some of you who are struggling with what to do with truth. You honestly know what it is, and you may honestly believe that it's true, but you haven't acted on those beliefs. It's good that you know it, but it is, no, uh, it is of no benefit until acted upon. Man rejects truth largely, I believe, because of his ego. An unwillingness to submit. You know how liberating it is when you learn to express these words, I don't know, rather than thinking everybody expects you to know everything? They know you don't. You know you don't. So why the facade? I don't know everything, but I don't have to figure out everything. God's done that for me. 
I've got to do what he tells me to do, whether I understand it fully or not. It's nice to have understanding. But it's better to have faith. We're going to close our thoughts this morning and extend the gospel invitation. You're going to be truthed quite a bit this week, I hope. But it just comes down to what are you going to do with it? Don't leave this assembly with a cognitive dissonance. I know this is what I should do, but I just not going to do it. If you know, then let's do. If we can help anybody in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and Camden leads us in our final song.